Hello and welcome to our show, Film Talk with AJ Dean. I'm your host, AJ Dean, and tonight we have a very, very special guest, a VIP, uh, and I'm so thrilled to introduce her. She is absolutely beautiful in all ways, uh, Miss Cheryl L. Bedford, and she is a special VIP. Hello, Cheryl. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to meet you finally. And um, oh, I think Paul's going to come in. So let's say hello to Paul. <laughs> hey, Paul. Hey, Paul, are you there? I am here. <laughs> okay, great. I'd like to introduce uh, Paul. He's my co-host. Cheryl, we've been talking with Paul on Clubhouse. Here he is. He's going to be just audio tonight. Isn't that right, Paul? Yeah, if that's okay. because <laughs> We're so glad you're here. Thank you for being an amazing co-host, Paul. Um, so let's get started, okay? Um, I've got some wonderful uh, notes here and some beautiful movie posters. First of all, I want to say a little bit a little bit about Cheryl, though, just to introduce her. Cheryl is a producer and a production manager. She's been a line producer. And you're also uh, a Baltimore native. You hold a BFA from the New York University's TSOA and MFA in producing from AFI. So this is so incredible. incredible. We're going to talk about you're also the founder of Women of Color Unite. I love this. This is dear to my heart. And you have over 30 years of experience in the film industry. Welcome, yes, so, Cheryl. And Yeah, go ahead. No, thank you. And yeah, so I'm old. Uh, I've no, been around not. a long time. No, it's okay. Like, I own it. That The best part about being um, over 50 <laughs> is that I say everything and anything that's on my mind. Like, I have no more filters. Um, and also, I was nominated. Uh, for the NAACP Image Award for Dark Girls, we, I did not win. We oh, well, have. you should have. I mean, didn't. you're a winner in my heart already oh, and in Paul's heart. And so, yes, you should have won because this film, Dark Girls, look at how beautiful the poster is. Can you tell us about that? So uh, that, yeah. is that the original poster? Uh, so... Dark Girls was really interesting. Uh, I did it when I was uh, Bill Duke's producer. I was Bill Duke's producer uh, for about six years. Uh, and Dark Girls was one of the projects that I did with Bill. Um, he and uh, Dee Chansonberry were both the directors of Dark Girls. And the interesting thing is that we had this huge premiere at TIFF sold out it was wonderful and we could not get distribution and because no one saw the value in it which I find really interesting because to this day we get people from around the world who want to screen the movies in their classrooms high school and college and talk about colorism because it's still a problem uh, and the movie is about what is it now about 11 years old um so that's why I always say we should have won because it has, you know, Dark Girls has absolutely stood uh, the test of time. The interesting thing about Dark Girls, talk about going viral. Um, we sent out a nine minute clip, which you can still find on uh, YouTube. And we sent it out to about, ooh, I'd say roughly, it's a, around a hundred people in the entertainment business, right? Like Bill sent it to people, Chan sent it to people, I sent it to people. We wanted to get a feel of how it was going. And Cameron Bailey, who was, um, now he's in charge of all of TIFF. Uh, he got it from, yeah. Um, Cameron Bailey at the time, I don't remember, I think he was like the, the director of the festival. Um, and he saw it and hit us up and said, uh, I want that movie at TIFF. Uh, here's the interesting part. <laughs> we weren't done shooting, let alone editing. 
they purposely scheduled us for the second half of the festival. We got it done and shipped up there two days. Wow. Two days before our premiere. Oh my gosh. I mean, it it must have been a whirlwind production, but Cheryl's so important with that uh, intense deadline, really, to finish it, right? Yeah, it, it was, it really was. So that hundred people, I woke up, 40,000 people. Dark, that is not a joke. Like my family called me because they, through friends of theirs, <laughs> were sent that clip. And they were like, um... Yeah, and it and we just started watching the count go up and up. That is not a joke. Like we sent it out one night, and then forty thousand people had viewed it by the time we woke up. Well, we want more to see it. So how can we see it? Um, uh, it depends. Like I don't even know where it is right now. You could just Google it. It's been on Netflix. It's been on Stars. It's been I don't I don't even know where now. But you can always find it. Okay. Uh, it it still resonates with people uh, around the world. It's probably uh, one of the projects I am most proud of. And then it's interesting because you have the Mansfield 12. I always tell people that was probably the most fun I've ever had on a shoot. We had a really small crew. Uh, we, uh, it was just fun. It was, it was just fun. And we shot it in uh, 12, no, 14 days, 12 or 14 days. It's been a while. Um, Amazing. But yeah, it has like Aaron D. Spears and it has Tony Todd, you know, the original Candyman and Joe Torrey. Yeah, it, it was one of my, uh, to this day, one of my favorite films to ever work on. So it's funny that you picked those two because uh dark girls i really probably i'm it, yeah it just i'm i'm proud i'm proud of it um and mansfield 12 because it was an uh independent film that uh, i just had a lot of fun on that shoot it was just a good shoot amazing so, so those 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 two when you hit me up i was like yeah all right, those two. Yeah. You can find a trailer for both of them uh, on YouTube. So awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Well, I encourage everybody to check the Mansfield 12 out and Dark Girls. And I I love the posters and they're so beautiful. They're absolutely they're works of art. You know, I mean, I look at movie posters as art and they're so beautiful. So on Dark Girls, it says real women, real stories. So this is. Um, how long is this? How long is Dark Girls? Uh, the movie is about 70 minutes. It's about, it's a, it's a documentary. So it's about seven. Yeah, it's, I think it clocks in it like 70, 72 minutes. And then Mansfield 12 is your typical uh, independent film about 90 minutes. So. Awesome. Awesome. What I wanted to ask about Dark Girls is it's a deep dive, isn't it? In the truth and what's really happening in the world. And it's still... Um, impactful today. So share with us your message about Dark Girls, Cheryl. Uh, so it's about colorism. And the interesting thing, because documentaries sort of take you in different directions than you may have originally intended. So when we started Dark Girls, it was originally about colorism within the African-American community. And at the deeper we dove into it, we realized that it's a worldwide problem. Like mm -hmm. I did not know until we did the documentary and within research that within Asian countries, you can't get a moisturizer that doesn't have a skin lightening uh, aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Like they all, like everybody. And, and it really depends like within the United States, it's because of slavery, the legacy of slavery um, in places like India, it's uh, colonialism. And in places like China, Japan, places like that, that's a classism because that's a classism issue for those who work inside versus those who work outside. Yeah. So it really, it depends upon, you know, which part of the world you live in, but they all have a problem with colorism. And it's really because anything considered, the, your, the closer proximity you have to whiteness, 
the better you are, the prettier. And I'm putting all of this in quotes, right? And the worst thing is that uh, there's footage in Dark Girls about the second time that they did the doll test in which a doll is, looks, there's nothing different about the doll except skin tone, right? And to watch little black girls choose the darkest doll when they say, who's ugly, who's stupid, who's, oh yeah. Wow, so, that's, that's not right. I was gonna say, I was gonna say they choose it because it's the most beautiful. That's no. what I was thinking. No. Whoa, no. whoa, there's, oh, Cheryl, this is so sad. This is not right. So, I mean, but if you look at, you know, Hollywood is, okay, let's talk about Hollywood. Hollywood is the way, right? Yeah. Um, because, um, and, and, and I will say in front of and behind the camera, Right. Like if you look at a lot of people who've been around for years and years and years, black women, let's say, most of them are light skinned. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, the Gina Davis Institute. Uh, what is that? CJane.org. Uh, they have statistical breakdowns about colorism. And then if you look at studies from the National Institute of Health, dark skinned women suffer from depression at third. 30 uh, percent more than brown skin or light skin women let alone white women but um and it and it there's a direct correlation between images and the media right absolutely so, yeah. th and think about everybody who is considered beautiful within uh you know regarding black women in the industry and you think about th things that viola davis has said and she's actually in dark girls um we interviewed her so if you look at, you know, the way that film and television has stereotyped dark skin, black women, and even, but you can even see that within the Asian community, right? You yeah. Tend to, tend to see more of, you know, East Asian versus South Asian and, uh, so it's it's within it, even within the Latino culture. Like I did not realize that twenty five percent of Latinos are Afro, actually Afro Latinos. They're they're Afro Latinos. Awesome. Twenty five percent, but you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't yeah. know that from film and television and the media. That's true. It's so biased, isn't it? It's so biased, and it's not right, and it needs to change. Um, and this is so important to me as well. And I know it's important to you, Paul. Paul, over to you. Wanted to sh uh, to give your you a chance to. to wonderful, speak. thank you. It's always wonderful to listen to you, Cheryl, because you always bring such knowledge and and hopefully get some understanding from uh, from people. But uh, and it is true when you speak of the Latino community, unless you start uh, diving into it, you don't realize that. Um, you know, and especially, you know, I, I can speak from like a Chicano or a Mexican American or Mexican point of view in that, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, but they're all Cuban or Dominican, you know, anyone in the islands, of, of course, you know, uh, Brazil, you know, things like that. But if if you go and do some research, you see that in Mexico, there's definitely uh, Afro Afro Mexicans, you know, Mexicans that live in these communities that are you know, descendant from, from the slave trade. So there's definitely um, Mexican Americans, but we're, we're not, for some reason, we're not, you know, we're not taught that. And we yeah. just assume like, oh, it's, it's the Cubans and the Puerto Ricans and the Dominicans. And yeah, wasn't, that, Khalifa, but... wasn't, it, wasn't Khalifa the woman, the, the woman who actually California is her name. It, it wasn't she actually Afro-Mexican. <laughs> probably yeah yes. i think she was yeah so that's that's the interesting thing that all that our history when people talk about like critical race theory and which by the way isn't taught until college so everybody calm calm down um but what we're talking about is this idea of understanding our history and how black people latinx have contributed to this country so but, much but specifically Black and indigenous, right? So you guys, you've heard me say it ad nauseum, why it is BIPOC, and I understand there's a lot of pushback to it, but mm -hmm. I think it's because people don't actually understand 
understand why it is actually in that order, Black, Indigenous, people of color. And that is because our entire economic system is based on the backs of enslaved Africans, literally built on the land of the Indigenous, and all other people of color have benefited from those two things, Yeah, right? Like it wasn't, I moderated a film for my friend, Dr. Jolie Proudfit called Imagining the Indian. And when I watched it, I did not realize, I did not realize that there were as many Native Americans in the US, what we think of now as the US, as there were white people in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, like I didn't like I, the, like that. Those numbers like didn't actually wow. occur to me, right? Because of the fact that again, history I've been taught whitewashed. Right? Me too. You, me you too. Would think, right? You would think that there were what a couple of million when there were actually what twenty six million. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at the the population of Europe now, understand. That that should be the population of Native Americans within the U.S. And they actually only make up 1% because of genocide, right? So it's, it's, it's really just understanding history and not the history that we were taught. Correct. Because we were taught lies. You're the founder and of Women of Color Unite. And let's talk about that because this is part of the change, Cheryl that's making a difference. This is what I'm talking about, standing up for our sisters all the way around the world. So you're, you've are you got a great example. Is this based in Los Angeles? Uh, yes, because I'm based in Los Angeles, but we have expanded uh, to Canada and the UK uh, with Start With Eight, our mentorship program, uh, hashtag Start With Eight, our mentorship program. So uh, yeah, so the interesting thing is I did not mean to become the leader of a grassroots movement. Now we are the largest nonprofit of women of color in entertainment. The actor Kelly Perrine, who a lot of people would know from the show One-on-One, -on -One, has been a friend of mine for over 20 years. And Kelly has a beautiful house in the hills and let me his house. And uh, because I just wanted to get all the women of color that I knew together in one yeah. And um, they, so, and, and the other thing was, if you got an invite, you could invite other women of color. 50 became 75, 150 women of color showed up. Now I knew that I wanted to do something, right? Cause I'm not just the kind of person is going to sit there and just bitch and complain like i'm going bitch i'm going to complain and then i'm going to give give solutions right get into action yep exactly so i have decided that we were going to form a database so the database actually came first and that's a jtc list and that is actually named after my mother who was an activist who passed away in february of 2016. so we held this event in february of 2018. so with that and I say it all the time, that moment became a movement. So that very first invitation for that February 2018 uh, uh, event said, women of color, dot, 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 and then in all caps, unite. Yeah. And that's where the name comes from. So by the end of the year, we were a nonprofit. Four and a half years later, we're the largest nonprofit of women of color in entertainment. And the interesting thing about us is that I don't charge my members. Oh, for wow. anything. There's no membership fee there uh, for any of the events. And the reason that I decided to do, and trust me, everybody pushed back. Every, everybody, everybody's like, I can't, like, why don't you charge them some? And I yeah. said, it is because I felt that a lot of the white female run nonprofit organizations similar, that they had pushed us to the margins by the fees, right? Because if you look at what African-American women make, indigenous yeah. women make, Latinx, Latinas make, like if you look at those numbers, then why are you charging us the same fees, right? But, but then... Whenever somebody talks about diversity, then you want to use our faces. I'm just going to say you want to use black bodies for capital. Hmm. I, so 
Um, yeah, so I don't charge. Yeah, I don't charge. Mm. I ask the women to donate what they can when they can. Uh-huh. Um, also went break broke. This isn't a joke. I maxed out, <clears throat> excuse me, I maxed out five credit cards. Um, and I always say this, this is the best, worst advice I ever got was from Marva Smalls, the chief diversity officer at Viacom, who I met before we were the JTC list. And this was in September, October of 2018. And she said, come out standing on your own two feet. Don't get a fiscal sponsor. Come out standing on your own two feet. That was the best advice I got. I say it was the worst advice I got because nobody told me that I was going to go broke for two and a half years. Wow. Wow. Five credit cards. Whoa. That is not a joke. And also, I was talking the way that I always talk. Um, and becoming more well-known for it. And the jobs that I had lined up as a line producer started all disappearing. So I tell people this story. It was the end of, it was January, 2020. Now think about that for a second. Sitting in my car, in my garage, crying. Because I hadn't borrowed money from anybody in, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years. And I'm sitting there and I am, I'm I'm crying because I don't want to ask my family. And I heard my mother in my head. My mother was a statistician along with being an activist. And so uh, she was very um, logical, most logical person I've ever met in my life. And I could hear her. And she's like, okay, wipe your tears and just call your family. Like, it's really just not that big of a deal. And I'm just in there and I'm talking to her in my head. I'm like, bye-bye, I work for money. I'm, I'm 50, what was I, 51, 50, 52 at the time. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I want to borrow money. I haven't borrowed money in like 20 years. And she's like, mm-hmm. And your, uncle, your uncles were arrested during the civil rights movement. Your grandparents put up their house to get them out of jail. Wow. This is nothing call up and she I actually heard her say call up Janice so my mother has two younger sisters my aunt Janice and my aunt Mary and she's like yeah she's like call up Janice (laughs) yeah and then call Mary I have to tell you I never had to get to Mary because I called Janice um and Janice and the interesting thing was I called Janice she picked up and said how much do you need your mother not a joke. Your mother Bless just her. told you you're going to call and borrow money. How much, how much do you need? And here's what my mother said to me in my head. She said, oh, oh, these are first world problems. She, my mother was very practical. Sitting in your, sitting in, this is not a joke, sitting in your BMW, hard top convertible, crying about, at least you had family who can lend you the money. Yeah. This is, nobody said that this fight was going to be easy. True, true, true. But, and, and, and she's right. Pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Two months later, nobody was out of work. I had work. I got the unemployment. I paid my family back. Like it was like I literally like they were paid back within that was January, I think by April. Amazing. So um yeah, Cheryl, there's always a way, isn't there, Cheryl? There, there is. And and that's the that's the thing. And that's when when I do feel low, um, because women and girl of color run nonprofits only receive 0.5% of all grant and foundation money. Um, if you look at everything that like we have done at Women of Color Unite. But then you look at like women in film, you look at like, other diversity programs and so forth and so on. I will match what Women of Color Unite has done in four and a half years up against any of them that have been around sometimes 30, 40 years. They got brick and mortars. They can pay people. I will have none of that. And yeah. yet, and yet we've gotten 2,000 women of color in three countries, two mentors within the entertainment industry in two years. That's phenomenal growth. And so congratulations, Cheryl, on that. And how can people support Women of Color Unite? Donate. 
you can go to wocunite.org slash donate. Like, we got to donate. Because here's my biggest problem. So obviously during the pandemic and the rebellion and everybody started talking about diversity, equity, and I've been doing this all my life. The very first time I marched, it was 1968. I was two. It was during the Baltimore riots. I was on my mama's hip. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, this has been my, my life. My Uncle Thomas, who's a retired judge in Baltimore, Maryland, helped to pass the Americans with Disabilities Act. My aunt, Janice, the one that I mentioned, just finished her tenure, I think, a year and a half ago as the president of the National Association of Black Storytellers. My aunt, Mary C. Curtis, is a very well-known journalist, right? I, I grew up doing this. This is my life. I've always marched. Like I've, I've, I've always marched and protested. It was my life. Problem is that during the, during the, you know, Black Lives Matter, Stop Asian Hate, all of that, that money went to white run organizations who all of a sudden had a diversity program, had a pipeline. Here's the thing. I am not adverse to pipelines, obviously right? Like I don't, but we're so, we're concentrating so much on pipelines and we're forgetting about all the people out there who've hit that intersectionality of racism, sexism, ageism, ableism, colorism, sexism, homophobia, who've been working in this industry 20 years and hit not a glass ceiling, a concrete one. But now we have all of these pipeline problems, but here's, here's what I can tell you. If we don't get all of those people who've been in this industry 20 years in VP roles, EVP roles, president, CEO, yes. and sitting on boards, all those people coming up on pipelines, what do you think is going to happen to them? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and here's how I know history. Don't forget, most of these DEIA programs have been around. Well, now we call it DEIA-B, actually, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Accessibility, and Belonging. But DEI programs have been around 30 years because when I graduated, so again, I have a BFA from NYU film school. When I attended NYU, it was the number one film school in the country. When I attended, so I graduated in 1988, started the American Film Institute in 1990. When I went there, it was the number one film school in the country. Now, right now, AFI is number one, NYU is number two, right? Right at this moment. So when I graduated with a master's degree from AFI in 1993, less than 200 people in the entire world had a master's degree from the American Film Institute. Now remember, this is pre-internet, right? This is really just as computers and the internet and so forth and so on. So you sent out your resume the usual way. Well, look at my resume, look at my name. No one expected this face to walk in. And literally every studio that I went into where I had an interview was like, yeah. And then they'd hand me those diversity forms. And I ripped it off. At that point in time, when I graduated, having gone to two of the top film schools, having won awards already, but then instead of getting the interview, you're going to hand me one of those diversity forms. And I read it. And you know what they wanted? Disga- they wanted- disgusting, though, Cheryl. Disgusting. Yeah, the, but they wanted what's known, what we call now, trauma, trauma essays, right? Which is poor little me. Now, here's the thing. I'm just a middle-class Black girl from Baltimore. I've gone to private school my entire life except for kindergarten. Like, that's not my story. If that's your story, that's great. That's not my story. But it's something that my mother said, right? As an activist, people who want to break their arms, patting themselves on the back. That's what those diversity things are. Uh, Well, we'll have 5,000 people apply for 20 spots, right? Here's the thing. I'm not fighting you as a woman. I'm not fighting Paul as a Latina. I'm not fighting. You can't make me. You can't make me have fight club with all of the other people who've been pushed to the mark independent producer. And that's really what happened. Uh-huh. I, I, I went like everybody else to the studio. I should have gotten a goddamn job. But yeah. every, 
asking me to jump through those hoops as opposed to giving me an actual interview. And I was like, ooh. And here's the thing. That was 1993. 1993. And we still look at the numbers. So that's how I know that all those people who are coming up through all those pipelines and going to get shit, change some shit. Absolutely. And you mentioned um, we need more uh, people of color in those higher executive studio positions. And this is serious. So I want to um, gather everybody's um, support and say you can right now you can you can donate to Women of Color Unite and know it's going to help directly to Cheryl and her committee and her company, and it's going to help. It's not going to be sidelined off to uh, or filtered off to another uh, department. It's going to go right to helping women of color. And this is what's so important. Isn't that right, Cheryl? Oh yeah, so we do a lot of things. Uh, we do statistical analysis. We were one of the first people who actually pulled women of color because we were either lumped with women or people of color. So we're the one, we were the first ones who pulled it out and talked about the unions. You can go to our website because we put it all up there, right? So I tell people all the time, it's, it's not a yeah. pipeline problem. problem. Yeah. I obviously Teamsters talking to you. It is a union problem, right? Um, so, but we put out the statistics. We also realized that, you know, the 40% of women of color after 10 years leave the entertainment industry because they hit that concrete ceiling, 40%. That is my mission. I'm out to stop that hemorrhage. Yeah. That's yeah. 40%. And it's not that people couldn't make it. These are people with 10 years experience. Yeah. Wow. Can't make a living at it. They still can't level up. And so they leave. They leave. So we do statistical analysis. We obviously have start with eight. Uh, we have two white papers. Um, the newest one is a screenwriting contest transparency. Yeah, blacklist and cover fly. I'm talking to you. Um, we saw what happened with the Austin Film Festival. Um, here's the thing. If you're going to target people who've been pushed to the margins, they need to know who's reading this. Here's the thing. We don't ever call out anybody because it's, it's all of them, right? Those are the two that people know the most about. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, we give solutions and not only solutions, but where the solutions have actually worked. They're, it's not like we're the ones inventing the wheel. And here's the thing. We did not do that. And what I mean is me and my staff. One of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that we can, with everything that we do, that we help to empower other people. So three women of color, one Latinx, one Asian, one African-American, uh, got together uh, because they started looking at the notes that they and other members of Woke U were getting. And they put out a survey and they put it together and then they wrote it and then came to uh, me and Manon the Reaper. Um, and um, Manon made it look pretty. And we went through it and I went out and uh, started talking to our other partners so that other people would sign on to this screenwriting contest transparency white paper. And it's brilliant. Right. And so uh, then we did one um, during the rebellion with the CSA. It's called Reimagining Casting. Uh, people can sign up, you can download it. Uh, you can make a pledge to do better uh, for both of them. There are places there if people can tell their stories about other things and tell us the good and the bad. Right. Like we, 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 we do actually believe in a balance. So that's that. We developed the woke you seal, which is so the reframe. So the reframe stamp is women in film and Sundance. They came up with this thing called the reframe stamp. There's just a little problem with the reframe stamp. So there are eight categories. You get one point for hiring a white woman, two points for hiring a woman of color. 
But here's the thing. You only need four points to get the reframe stamp. Somebody do the math. That means that you could get the stamp and never hire a woman of color. Oh. And I got a that. I have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. They also don't include line producers, which I think is absolutely ridiculous since line producers are the ones who hire people. But anyway, I digress. So we came up with the Woke You Seal. The Woke You Seal is 20%, hiring 20% women of color above and below the line, and you get the Woke You Seal. And people always ask me, why 20%? Because we make up 20% of the population. How about that? Yeah. We just want you to do with the world the way that the world looks, right? And then, of course, there are our events. So for our events, uh, there's one thing that we realized very, very early on. Lists are like phone books to white folk in this industry. They're like, um, <laughs> we call it exclusion by familiarity. Didn't go to school with any, don't live near any, don't golf with that, Right. It's exclusion by familiarity. So if you have somebody a list, they're looking at it like, mm, I don't know what to do with this, right? It's like a phone book. It's impersonal. But you know what does work? When you can get those who can hire, fund, and distribute in the same room. Because another part of the problem with diversity, equity, and inclusion programs is that they have otherized people and when you otherize somebody you dehumanize them so we throw events to realize that all those people have been pushed to the margins but you're like I, they want it like i don't know when all of that just want the same things you do that's it that's it and so what happens is people get we've had i've seen people get hired on the spot at all of our events but what that actually also does is then it becomes a recommendation. So here's the funny thing. I was talking to uh, my assistant, who's also an administrator, who handles the requests for the JTC bus. Um, and because she handles that, like I don't even see it. Uh, you can go to the, the jtclist.com. There's also a link from uh, Women of Color Unite, wocunite.org to get it and you have to request it. It is not something that is a searchable database. We send, because we want to keep track of who we send it to so that when a company is like, we don't know any, we can be like, yes, you do. Cause we sent it to this department on this day to this person. Yeah, it's accountability, right? So mm. here's the funniest thing. So in the last year, 300 times, I didn't even realize, <laughs> yeah, I know. I didn't even realize that. Maybe it's a year and a half, two. Yeah. Yeah. 300 times. Three. And I knew we were the most successful database because of kind of the way that we built it. Um, but that was even mind blowing to me. And every studio, production companies, independents, like everybody. And, and yeah. So when people are like, where's your money go? Well, let me tell you. It can go to statistical analysis, it can go to our events, it can go to run to start with eight, uh, doing the white, name it. Like, we're always out there. Um, yeah, we're always out there. And again, shout out to my entire staff, Gregory Zide, who helped me to write our mission statement. So here's an interesting thing about our mission statement. We're now a nonprofit production company. Because when people were like, not giving us any money, I was like, well, let me think. I'm a producer. So we put together a slate of projects and I've been out pitching as a nonprofit production company. Think of it like a tax incentive, right? To make a project with us. Oh, and here's the best thing. We don't own it. That IP stays in the hands of the marginalized person. And at least 50% of it has to remain in their hands whatever studio or network or whomever we're working with, you don't get that tax incentive. And that's how you build generational wealth. Amazing, amazing. This is well done. This is brilliant. And what a incredible uh, structure that you have built for your company. It's it's checking off all the right things, all the, all the things that 
gosh, you're, you've just, you've looked at every aspect. So I just want to compliment you, Cheryl, you've done your homework. What it's, I love about you, Cheryl, is you're, you straight talk, you tell the truth, you're direct, and that's it. There's no, there's no BS. There's no sugar coating. And that's what yeah, I love. I'm over I, 50. Like, I don't have, to, I don't, I don't have, but here's the thing. I've never had time. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've always been uh, for the good and for the bad, right? Like sometimes, uh, but I'd, I'd rather do it. I'd, I'd rather do it. And, and it really is one of those things where it's worth it. People get too caught up in their feelings. And, yeah. and, I, and I will say even myself, and so it, it's really about this statistical analysis. It's about linking yeah. studies from the National Institute of Health. It's about telling people various studies to read, um, to look at, uh, readings that they should do regarding history, regarding how things came about. It's, it's all of that, right? Like it's not about our feelings and quotes. It's just, it's just not. Because it's so true. We see it through whatever lens we specifically have. Absolutely. And it's not about my feelings. Yeah, it's absolutely. And and this world, you're absolutely right, Cheryl. This world uh, goes by statistics and numbers and paper trails and evidence, you know, hard copy evidence, black and white evidence of of things. I don't know if um, you were in that clubhouse room that time when I was talking about white women and how they are the biggest recipients of affirmative action and yet the biggest proponents of it and people didn't want to listen like nobody wanted to no I don't feel I feel I'm like I, I don't care I don't care how you yeah. feel and that you as a white woman are talking about sexism but don't forget that you also have a problem with racism. And so black women and Asian women and Latinx and indigenous, like, and Mina Swana, we've had all of that come at us, right? Yeah. So yeah, the, that's, that's the, you know, kind of, but, and that's what I mean by feelings. Yes, I yeah. absolutely understand that, uh, that women, have faced sexism, absolutely. But you also then have to account, take into account the other isms. Racism it isn't good for anybody's mental health. It's obviously not good for black people or indigenous or other people. Been, we, we say push to the margins because we're actually the global majority. So, um, but it's actually not good for white men. It's not good for our economy, right? Like there, there are actual studies about how it's not good for the mental health of Absolutely. white people. And it has yeah. to do with the pressure and so forth. And so like there are things, none of it is good for us yeah. as a society. So, I, I mean, you know, th th those are just, <laughs> I. You know, I, I try to educate people. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes <laughs> like not today. Not you today. do so good. And we are so proud of you. And thank you for bringing all of uh, this to our attention. Um, Cheryl, it's so needed. We need to talk about it. We need to have people educated, but they've got to ed do the educating themselves because the history is out there. And we've got to look up uh, the articles and, and the real truth instead of the lies that we have been taught in school and at universities and all over the world. So um, your, your message is so important and we hear your voice. Um, I did want to ask you, um, are there any projects that you want, uh, that you're excited about that, that you want to share that's upcoming uh, for you? Wow, uh, we have a whole slate of projects. So I don't want to piss anybody off. <laughs> uh, okay, I have, more, I have more shopping agreements right now. Um, I would <laughs> probably say my personal favorite, and it is the one that I was uh, attached to uh, before it became a project of Woke You, and that is uh, Vote Love. And it is a interracial lesbian rom-com 
And one of the people happens to be black and the other woman is a uh, Korean American. And I love it. Uh, it's funny. It's just wrapped up. It's, it's, it's a rom-com. Uh, we have, uh, we have uh, representation of everybody within it, people with disabilities, so forth and so on. Uh, and what I find interesting is the feedback I've gotten from white men in the industry as I'm trying to make this movie uh, was that it was too, again, quote, diverse. And I'm like, I, I, it, no, it's actually the correct representation. That's what it really is. I, 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 I was stunned. And it mainly yeah. had to do with, we had, uh, there's a character who's in a wheelchair and they're oh. like, how to get in a wheelchair? And I was it's like, not about them. They're a secondary character. Like they just happen, happen to be a wheelchair user. Like yeah. it, they're like, but people are going to want to know. I was like, do you ask people who are in a wheelchair to walk in the street? Like, why are you in a wheelchair? Here's an interesting thing. Two of my members, actually, I mentioned that comment at an event and they both looked at me and said, yes. And I was like, wait, random people on the street, they're like, yes, random people on the street are like, why are you in the wheelchair? I was just like, oh, okay. See, because that would never occur to me. Me neither. And they're like, and yes, and please don't put that in your movie. Please, Cheryl, please don't, because it's annoying, it's offensive and so forth and so on. But I, I thought that really, I was like, random people. Yeah. You on the street. Yeah. Yes, get in the way of our wheelchair. And they're like, why are you in the wheelchair? And I realized mm. that that's Hollywood's fault because 25% yeah. of the American population yeah. has a visible or invisible disability. If we all live long enough, we will all have a disability. Yeah. Like an experience, yes, absolutely. of our population. So we're just going to run around and ask, uh, you know, every fourth person we run into, what's your disability? It it's Hollywood. Yeah. The way that we have erased people with disabilities, right? That, I mean, th that's, that's the problem. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So it's, it's we just need to normalize it, right? So if, so I actually did this. I um, made a deal. Well, not a deal. I, I, could you, uh, so at Women of Color Unite, I really focus on the most marginalized, which are women of color with disabilities. And because of the work that my uncle Thomas has done, his youngest son, my cousin is disabled. So it's, it's, it's just part of who I am. Um, I stopped, I am no longer on panels that don't have somebody with a disability. Mm. if you don't have somebody with a disability i'm not doing your panel and then they Bravo. say i can't find any and i'm like oh i i i know people i yeah. mean we have a whole ass organization respectability that we work with but if you can't I, I i can always find someone that's why i have disabled advocates of women of color unite like i can always find somebody and yes. then somebody once told me that they uh didn't have room so you know i send somebody with a disability in my place awesome awesome cheryl you know uh, this world has to change and we have to be the change artists for that vehicle uh because otherwise people would they they'll they just don't listen they don't pay attention we have to have we have to be loud and clear and direct on our well, message you know yeah, and if i if i'm asking white people to use your your privilege to help someone um, or okay. rather, and it's really not even, a. we're trying to change language, right? It's actually the power of whiteness. If yeah. we're gonna ask you to use that power, then I, I have to do the same thing, right? I have to understand what is, what, what are the privileges? What's the power that I have, right? And so I have to use that. 
So if you want me to sit on a panel and people want me to sit on panels all the time, I mean, when you're doing this podcast, I got two more like back to back after this, right? Like <laughs> not today, but within the next week, I've, I, I do them all the time. People ask me to sit on panels all the time. Um, and if you, and some paid, some not, uh, but if you ask me regardless, you have to have somebody who has a disability or am I sitting on them? Like, because that's, that, that's the power that I am using. You want me, you want me to sit there and talk about everything that I talk about and throw out the facts and link it to studies from National Institute of Health and blah, blah, blah. You want me to do all of that? Great. Let's have somebody with a disability on that panel, right? Like, right. What's the problem? So if, if and I, I remember who it was that, there, uh, um, it was <laughs> it was Caitlin Yang. Caitlin Yang was who I sent. Caitlin Yang uh, is opposed, uh, has her own host company. She's such a badass. She's such a badass. Awesome. That's and it was it was Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah, I I love that, and I love your heart, Cheryl. You're just so generous and caring, and and you make things go right. Cheryl, you make things go right. You're an instigator for that. And we love you so, so much. Um, I'm going to have to start wrapping it up. I'm so sorry. It's gone so fast. Paul, I wanted to hand it over to you and ask if you had any questions or anything you wanted to say, Paul. No, thank you. Uh, And let me tell you why. I mean, it's when, when Cheryl is speaking, I love to listen. And it's gone all the way back to the clubhouse rooms. And I think, you know, I've DM'd Cheryl before, like we're especially in the heated room and I'm like, thank you, you know, keep it up. So, you, you know me, I'm kind of here for, for the the lightness, the comedy maybe, but there's, you know, these are not joking matters. Maybe no. sometimes we deal with them in that way, or I do, and maybe we, we have to, but I, I love the fact that they're, you know, you're not a hypocrite because even going to, to you know, to what these you are, said, these are things that people are always like, oh, that wasn't fair. Or, you know, I feel this way. I feel that way. But then, you know, they're, they're, they're just putting it on other people, not themselves. So I love that. I love that fact about you, Cheryl. And I would, uh, of course, I would love to have you on my podcast. And uh, uh, just to delve deeper into, I'd love to hear about your, your wonderful mother and your upbringing and all that. I mean, I've gotten a taste of it, but, but really, you're just such a wonderful human being. And thank you, because it affects us all. Yeah, you know, it's, not, it's not just a black thing. It's not a black and white thing. It's, you know, it's a Latino thing. It's an indigenous thing. So thank you for, for fighting the good fight for us. Well, thank you very much for all of those. Those are really kind words. I just don't, I just, I just don't care. Oh, I those just, were I some did. of my favorites. And, and it was like my guilty pleasure. I'm like, yes, Cheryl, yes. Because nobody else is, you know, everyone's lovey-dovey. And, and maybe Pollyanna is, is not lovey-dovey, but... Maybe like Pollyanna, and it's, oh, yes, you know, the, the Hollywood doesn't discriminate. Like, oh, just work hard and you'll get it. And I love also the fact that you talked about a concrete ceiling. Because you're right, you know, a glass ceiling can, can and has been shattered, but a concrete one cannot. Yeah. So I, I love that analogy. And I could, again, I could go on forever. But uh, when, when, you're, when Cheryl is talking and, and AJ is interviewing, I'm like, you know what, Paul? For once, keep your mouth shut and kind of learn something. So thank, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you both uh, for being so kind. Those were some. Those were some rooms. Those were those were absolutely some rooms. Uh, but I look. I here's what I think that a lot of people don't understand is that I, I I'm really am fighting for my life. Like that's that's the thing that people don't understand. Like I'm fighting for my life. I'm fighting for my people. Uh, I'm fighting for people of color, like be, because of all of the damage that Hollywood has done, right? Like, and I don't want the next generation uh, to to have to go through that. And it really is. And look, it's in my clubhouse, my clubhouse profile, right? And it says, my mother told me this ad nauseum ever since I can remember. Cheryl, you have one job as a human being on this planet. That is to make the world a better place for the next generation. And by doing that, you make it a better place now. Yes. Amen. I've lived my entire life 
Um, like that. that. So I, you know, like I said, I'm the daughter of an activist. I can't, you know, it is, it is what it, it, it is what it is. And sometimes, you know, it's gotten me in trouble. It's lost me jobs. Uh, but I wouldn't have it. Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, mm-hmm. I really wouldn't have it any other way. And you guys have always been so supportive of me. In those and so we're going to do final I'm- thoughts now. Okay. So um, I, I always do this on our program. We do final thoughts. Um, Paul, over to you. Final thoughts. We'll start with you. Wonderful. Well, thank you for allowing me to, to even be here for, for this, AJ. This was uh, such a wonderful uh, interview. It's it's one of the ones that stands out because Cheryl has so much to say, and I'm glad that people uh, can hear the things that maybe they don't want to listen to. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that we've given her a platform. And but she all you know but by all means you know she can go anywhere else. So thank you, Cheryl, for for being here. And uh, of course, yeah, I'd love to have you on Paul Vato presents my podcast. And I'd love to introduce you to my friend Del Zamora, who I feel like you guys are kind of fighting that same fight. You know, he's he's uh, Latino and indigenous, and he has a lot to say. So you guys are either going to love each other or hate each other. I don't know, but you guys are both. <laughs> fighting the good fight so i would love to introduce you to what bring it you together his, wait what did you say his name was del zamora okay. and he was in uh repo man that was his first big movie with alex cox back back in the 80s repo mm-hmm. man and then uh robocop and all the way i mean he's a, a consummate working actor he's been working but fighting for the rights of you know how and he has proof of how he's been paid so much less and then mm-hmm. and people don't believe them, even other Latino actors. They're like, no, Del, it's because you're always complaining. You know, so when you were talking about um, what happened, you know, after you started talking and, and speaking up and then the jobs start disappearing, you know, people think that that's what's going on with Dell. But he's like, they weren't going to give it to me anyways. You know, so um, but he's got, you know, he's got a list. He and another friend, Lalo, have this list of, you know, 7000 times that non-Latino actors have played Latinos. And maybe the inverse is true a handful of times is that whole thing of, well, you know, they look like you, so they, they can play you. But then it's like, well, then if they look like us, why don't we look like them? <laughs> why can't we play? Exactly. Those yeah. characters. I was there with my college so, roommate. Uh, she and I are still friends, Joan Barons. And we're just sitting in the back smoking our cigarettes <laughs> watching Repo Man. I will never forget it. I would love for you to talk to him. Uh, yeah, he... Um, he was one of the Legarto brothers, one of the two Latino brothers yes. in the low rider. He's one. Okay. He's so he was in you know, a major part in that film. And he still stays in touch with Alex Cox, the director, the from, from the UK. Um, so sorry to hijack final thoughts, but I was like, you know what, Cheryl and Dell need to uh, to meet and and maybe discuss some things because you know he's got the same thing with this film that he's been working on for nine years and just wrapped photography you know out of some flashback scenes yesterday or day before um and it's one of these films that people want to see in schools they they beg him to bring it out to schools and he does you know even in its unfinished form you know people pay to screen this so it reminds me of what what you were saying with dark girls you know that that it's mm-hmm. it's a project that people need to see and people want to see it and they're paying to, hopefully but they're paying to bring it out to screen at their schools and organizations so yes, I will do the podcast and I'd love to meet your friend. Especially you got since it, my that friend. is such Thank a you. that is actually a really happy memory for me sitting in. I think it was the very first time that I was <laughs> like, because I went to college like um yeah, I was 17 when I started. I mean, I then turned 18, but um so yeah, sitting, <laughs> sitting there watching it, and I want to say it was freshman or sophomore year. Like it was, it was it was like 1984, 1985 somewhere in that range yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i will exactly. never forget. it was one of my because ha- i was like oh we can sit back here and sit. like i felt like such a dang adult <laughs> anyway i digress anyway but it was a very very happy memory for me he would love to hear that because you know that that movie is is one of these instrumental movies you know these quintessential 80s movies it's an homage to LA. incredible i was 19 years old i was in new york city and i <laughs> and the reason i started promoting was because when i was 19 when i turned 19 that was a drinking age in new york city my birthday is in september by what, um what day oh i'm september 26th i'm september 18th 
you're Virgo, I'm a Libra. But we're both <laughs> we're both sapphires. Yes. So but I as of January 1st, I couldn't drink. And I had just started like trying to cocktail waitress at, at Heartbreak. And because my my roommate at the time, Joan Barron, who I mentioned, she was the cigarette girl at Heartbreak. She was the one who got me over there. And so I'd done a couple of days as like a cocktail wish. And then I couldn't drink. I oh. couldn't serve alcohol anymore. And so I met this guy who worked at there, Marty Kirshner, who was a nightclub promoter. And I worked on the Marty. That's great. And I was a New York City nightclub promoter when I was 19. Wow, Cheryl. Wow. What an incredible life you have. This is amazing. It's so wonderful to get to know you and to hear these wonderful things that you're doing. And of course, everybody, I want to say, please support uh, Women of Color uh, Unite and, and, and please support Cheryl. Follow her on Instagram and Facebook. Check out Dark Girls and The Mansfield 12. And anything else you wanted to promote, Cheryl? No, also Twitter. I, oh, Twitter. I did the very yeah, first round of Start With Eight. So it was a Twitter movement that we turned into a program. And I am a former chair of diversity uh, development at New York Film Academy, Los Angeles branch. So I was used to building actual programs. So we sent out a survey and we asked the women who had taken part, you know, what we could do better, what they got out of it. And 70 over 70%, almost 75%. So what they got the most out of it was hope. And that's why I do what I do. It's hope. I can talk about these statistics all day long, but for every win and we get our wins, um, it just gives me more and more people oh. out there creating change. We're not the only ones. There's Lonnie yeah. Duro and women of color filmmakers. There is respectability, as I mentioned earlier. There are people who are out there doing things who are actually making a difference. And the reason we all do this, hope. I love this so much. Hope, it's what it's all about. The hope, the hope in my heart, the hope in your heart. So let's, I want to encourage everybody out there to hire, if you're a film director, hire women of color, hire men of color, all shades, all categories, all sizes, all disabilities or non-disabilities, whatever. Yeah, hi, hi, hire, just, just hire the way the world looks. You'll yeah. be high. Like just hire the way the world looks. Oh, and speaking of women of color, you almost forgot. We help uh, men of color unite. So our brother organization, we're going to serve as their fiscal sponsor. Some of the founding members are Gino Brooks, V at Crew Me Up, uh, Craig Williams, who runs the largest Black screenwriters group on Facebook, uh, Gil Jackson. Um, oh, Gil Jackson. Uh, yeah, Nelson. Uh, Nelson! Uh, Nelson and Fanny have uh, Evanita. Uh, like, we got everybody. Um so yeah, um, Floyd Marshall, um, God, who am I forgetting? Floyd, uh, Robert Butler, um, Jason Taylor, uh, all these guys, they basically got together and they, they, Beautiful. Are, now, they are the founding members of Men of Color Unite. Beautiful. Women of Color Unite will serve as I, their fiscal sponsor. Congratulations. I'm so thrilled and happy and proud of you and everyone. Well, here's the funny thing. Uh, so I was like, you guys have to get a mission statement. And then they read me the mission statement. I was like, that sounds awfully familiar because it was ours. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, they and they were like, if it ain't broke, we'll fix it. But they <laughs> added one additional thing. Gino Brooks uh, went to an HBCU. I did not. Obviously, I went to NYU. So they wanted to make it part of their mission statement to do more outreach. Uh, to HBCUs, which I just love. So that is our one difference when you read our mission statement, uh, but pretty much they just copy and paste. Yeah, just, okay just knock out the, the war from woman and, and now it's men. men. Yes. And there yes. you go, just keep it yes. simple. Thank yes, you. that's pretty much exactly what they did. Uh, I am not mad at that. 
um they they are yeah they're finally they're getting up and running so i'm very very proud of them um and uh women of color unite so we kind of pushed them we were like they're like why isn't there anything for guys like this and i was like so what y'all gonna do about it yeah yeah that's awesome i am so proud of you and this is this is this is it everybody join and support women of color unite and men of color unite and until um, we meet again, I just want to thank you so much, Cheryl L. Bedford. Please support her and all the great projects she is involved in. Check out these movies. And uh, we love you so much, Cheryl. Continue doing your work that is the very best. It's your destiny. It is your calling. And let us know how we can help you as well in any way, okay? Well, thank you both very much. Yes, Paul, I will do your podcast. AJ, uh, you've always been so supportive. Both of you have. Thank you for having me. It is now 9.15 p.m. on a Friday night. Uh, and I'm going right. to go have a little shot of tequila in my refrigerator. Okay. I'm going to go do that. Uh, <laughs> it, it's really good, too. It has a, a little taste of cucumber and a little taste of jalapeno. It's good. Can I have a shot? Can I have one too, Cheryl? Yes. Lonnie Maduro actually got it for me. So anyway, um, thank awesome. you both so much uh, for having me. Um, I'm so glad we could finally do this, AJ. You and I have been trying to do this for months now. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you so much. Much love to you and respect, Cheryl. Uh, you are beautiful, like I said, in so many ways. And we look up to you and you inspire us. So we love you. Have a beautiful evening. And until next time. Bye. 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 Bye.